happy about it. Fucking wrong! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing like a little sanctified nepotism. So, <laughs> well, it is great to uh, to be with you this week, and uh, this is like vacation for my wife and I because we never go on vacation, so I don't have to cook. Oh, uh, this is great. So, uh, this is really a, a fantastic, uh, fantastic time for us. Uh, and uh, been praying for you all, praying for our time, for our week together. Uh, I've already made, just in the, what, three, four hours that we've been here, already made some new lifelong friends. Uh, where, where's my buddy Jonah? There he is, right there. Hey, Jonah. Right there. Uh, I don't know if, you know, the opening line should be Jonah, like the whale guy. Uh, you might want to work on that a little bit. But truth of the matter is, I remembered your name. So we're, we're good. And, you know, it's interesting. Names are, can be fun things. Uh, when I was growing up, depending on where I was in my stage in life, I guess, it was called different things. When I was, like, my grandson back there, about that age, uh, my father called me, his nickname for me was Bull, uh, which, because I was just a real thick kid, you know, <laughs> I was all, all kid. Uh, of course, when I got older, uh, in elementary and junior high and high school, my, my friends just called me Max. Uh, except in junior high when they gave me a nickname, which we will not uh, talk about tonight, or at all this week, actually. Uh, when I uh, got uh, married and uh, started teaching, I've been in education for over 20 years, probably going on 25 years now. Of course, I became, all of a sudden, I became Mr. Shellnuts. Uh, and then because I read... A few extra books, I became Dr. Selma to those students who wanted the extra credit. Um, to some students, I became Doc Nut. I wasn't really sure if that was a good thing or not, uh, but there it was. Uh, we're going to spend a week together, uh, perhaps more. Uh, so uh, you can call me Max or really anything that you want to call me. But uh, about five years ago, I would say. Uh, no longer was I, uh, you know, I guess I still in some circles was, you know, Mr. Shelner, Dr. Shelner, whatever. But for kind of the first time really in my life, when people would meet me for the first time, they would say, oh, are you Luke's father? <laughs> and all of a sudden, that's how people would approach me. Or are you Luke's parents if I was with my wife? Um, so I, I'm very, very happy to uh, have that, um, that title, I guess we would say. Well, this week, uh, as you can see from the, the fabulous T-shirts and from your uh, little notebooks and things there, that our, our um, theme for the week is free indeed. And uh, man, the worship team, thank you so much. Uh, could not have teed up this week and this evening any better than uh, what you did in terms of song selection, just the music and everything. Uh, so if it ends up falling flat, it's not their fault. Uh, it's this guy right here. Uh, if you will, please turn. I, I trust you have your Bibles with you. We're going to be looking at them a lot this week. Uh, I know your notes. If you look at section one, it says we're going to be in Luke. We are. But I thought we would take five or ten minutes of our time tonight just quickly to look at John 8.36, where that comes from. Free indeed. And right, We even just uh, sung about that uh, this evening. 
We're really not going to unpack this passage. Uh, We might kind of end out on Friday a little bit with this. Uh, But it really is kind of the backdrop of everything else that we're going to say this week. So it really is to our benefit to at least see this phrase, free indeed. So in John 8, beginning in verse 31, uh, Jesus says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, which we can unpack the whole, what does it mean that you really believed him? Uh, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Which shocked them, because they, they answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? This puzzled them. What, what's this whole free thing you're talking about? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And you can almost picture him looking around the room saying, we're talking about everybody right here. You're acting, you really are enslaved. You just don't know it. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. And here's our line. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. And, you know, the, the idea of free or freedom uh, we, we could probably open it up for discussion and have all kinds of interesting thoughts about, well, what does it mean to be free? What is true freedom? How do you know that you are free? Uh, especially in this nation, right? This, this idea of freedom. Uh, you know, for, uh, for some, it may mean doing whatever I want without anyone ever telling me, you can do this or you can't do that. That would be freedom. Uh, then we could debate the whole issue. Well, if I, I even thought about bringing a, a fishbowl with a little cute goldfish in it. And it was, I'm going to set this fish free and threw him out onto the floor. <laughs> would he be free indeed? Well, in some sense, some of you would argue, well, yes, he's no longer confined to the water and to the bowl. But hopefully you would understand that really where he exercises his freedom and his life is within certain boundaries. Right? So we can have this discussion about what it means to be free. Here in the context of John 8, uh, when Jesus says that you shall be free indeed, he's talking about free from sin's shame. You are free from sin's guilt. You are free from sin's condemnation. You are free from the wrath of God that your sin brings with it. But... The, the thing I want us to understand is actually the word indeed. Because it really is going to be the backdrop for most of what we say this week. Free indeed. That word indeed has the idea of truly, or from, from my mind, the word really. You really are free. If the sun sets you free... The gospel message that you trust by faith, Jesus Christ, and what he has done on his cross, you are free. Really? Now, I emphasize that because I think sometimes that's where we are hung up. That do we really believe we are free? Has he really set us free? Do you know what it means to be free from all those things that condemns you through your sin? Because sometimes I think Christians don't 
look like they're free indeed. They don't act like they're free indeed. You want to know what someone who truly knows what now it means to be free, to be emancipated, means? Look at pictures. I'm a history teacher, so I'm going to go history on you. Look at pictures who, when the Allies have come through the streets of Italy, having been under a tyrant of Mussolini, and the death that was brought there, and here they see the Allies coming, realizing we are liberated today. And look at the joy and the, the celebration that they have. Now you may say, well, I've seen some pictures of people in the Holocaust. They don't look very excited when the Allies come through. You know why? Because they don't realize they're free indeed. When the soldiers came through, many of them, they brought, now you realize if you've seen Holocaust survivors and when they've been, their camps have been liberated, sometimes they, right, they can't just take in a ton of food immediately. Their bodies can't handle that. So what the soldiers would do, they would bring them chocolate. And you know what many of those survivors would do? They would take that chocolate and go hide it under their mattress because they were fearful, this is all I'm going to get. I don't want to lose this. I don't want anyone stealing this. Why would they do that? Because they haven't realized you're free. Really? So this week, what hopefully we're going to unpack for us is what does it mean? What does it really look like to be free indeed if the Son has set you free? Really free. Alistair Begg said the gospel is not a starting point of our faith. It is the whole point. It truly is. Again, I believe having walked with Christ longer than most of you have been alive. I'm, I'm probably the oldest person in here. I don't know. We need to, I, I'm thinking I am. I'm thinking I am. But often we think the gospel gets us in, but boy, after that, I really need to maintain it. I need to make sure that God's not angry with me. I, I like prog rock. If you don't know what that is, we'll talk about that later. But uh, one of the big names in prog rock happens to be a believer, a gentleman by the name of Neil Morse. And uh, he wrote a song called In the Land of Beginning Again. I just want to read a couple of stanzas for you. He says, I wish there was a way to start again. Just blink and count to ten in the land of beginning again where no one knows the bad things you've done. The past is truly gone in the land of beginning again. Have you ever felt that way? If I could just be somewhere where no one knows the things I've done, as if they never happened before. He goes on, and I love my brother more than my own life, and no one feels mean, all things are new. Behold, the slate is clean. I wish there was a way to start again. Just blink and count to ten in the land of beginning again. To be free indeed of the condemnation, the shame, the guilt of your sin before God. I want to introduce you to just such a person. Turn to Luke 19. 
I'm sure for many of you, if not most, if not all of you, an individual that needs no introduction, I'm going to introduce them to you anyway. Luke uh, 19. Did I say something else? Sound like I said something else. Luke 19. Uh, the first 10 verses, and I know you're all comfortable right now, but this I, I can't not do this. I'm going to ask you to stand and honor the word of God as I read this. And then I'm going to pray for our time in Luke 19. He, speaking of Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he, Jesus, was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Lord, uh, stories like these that we probably have heard from our childhood, if we've been raised in a Christian home or been at church for any length of time, can become so familiar to us that they lose the impact that they were meant to have. Lord, prepare our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us this evening and throughout the week. May we understand how individuals like this and these interactions with Christ can show us what it means to live like those who are free, really. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you go ahead and have a seat? Now I'm going to show my age just a little bit here, but anytime I come across this story or I hear the name Zacchaeus, a tape, uh, a tape is a thing that we used to use <laughs> that you would plug in or a reel-to-reel if you meant, or A-track if you're really cool, of the children's song, Zacchaeus was a weaver man, a weaver man was he. Okay, we can stop there. <laughs> okay, so at least they're still teaching that, I guess. Uh, every time I hear that, I, you know, you can't sing that song without sounding like Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof. There's about three of us in here who understands what I'm talking about. But, but Zacchaeus was a real man. He was a real person. He really lived. And he was, and we miss this because it's four chapters away, he's a real 
living example of Luke 15. Now, we're not going to turn there. I'm just going to remind you of what's in Luke 15. In Luke 15, we have three parables by our Lord. Two of them are relatively short. Then one that's relatively long, that is actually a part of our culture now. I don't just mean the Christian culture. I mean just our culture. The first one is about someone who lost their sheep. One sheep. And he leaves his 99 to go find the one, which to me seems a little insane. I mean, it's just one. But he leaves the one and he finds it and has to carry it back. And do you remember what he does when he comes back? This is where you get to interact. We do have, yeah. That's right. He's hey, I want to have my neighbors over. Look, my sheep that was lost is found. He's pretty excited about it. And then there's a woman who lost a coin. And she just tears the house apart until she finds it. And she finds it. And what does she do? Yeah. Thank you. Party again. But she calls her neighbors over. I mean, can you imagine calling your neighbor over? Look what I found in the couch today. This quarter that I lost. But she's excited about it. And then we get the really full story, right? About the prodigal son. And we're not going to unpack that. It'd be a great, great one to do, but we won't. And as much as we talk about the son, and we talk about that other son who doesn't want to rejoice, he doesn't want to celebrate, he doesn't want to party, it's really about the father. It's about the father who loves the son. Even though the son did everything against the father. And when the father sees the son returning, he doesn't even wait for the son to get back. He goes against all the cultural norms of the time, the societal norms, pulls up, hikes up his robe, and runs. Because he can't wait to embrace his son. And the son really doesn't even get the excuse out, Father, you know, forgive me. He's just, he's just loving on him. And when he gets back and they start the party, as you remember, because there's another party. The elder son, right? The, the older son is really upset. Fast forward to Luke 19. What we have played out for us is not a, another parable, but the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son that Jesus rejoices about, that the father wants to party about. But there are some who are angry. And in here, as you will see, all of our sessions this week, we'll talk about free to, if you know, if you truly know, that you are free, really, really free, that there are things in your life as a follower of Christ that you're free, you've been free to pursue. And the first one we're going to look at, you may say, oh, you're going to start with that, free to repent. No, just wait there, you know. Yes, free to repent. Now, as we set this story up and kind of unpack it and all of its fullness here, because there's a lot, so much here, we, we need to set the immediate context, the wider context, right? So Luke's purpose, he tells us, and uh, you know, I appreciated you know, Pastor Tony on Sunday setting it up for this week because he mentioned this, that in Luke 1, Luke says he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. 
who may or may not be a believer, probably is, might be a Gentile, uh, but he's struggling. Theophilus is struggling in his faith. Have you ever struggled in your faith? You might want to read through Luke sometime. But he says, look, excellent Theophilus, you're doubting whether or not, is this the real thing? Because, first of all, it doesn't seem like the cool kids are hanging out with the Christians. And two, they seem to be persecuted a lot. Can this really be what I signed on for, what I really thought it was? And Luke says, I want to show you, yes, this is exactly what God had intended. Luke and, and Acts. Yeah, this is the real thing. And not only that, Theophilus, and this is the reason why I love the Gospel of Luke, not just because it was, you know, my son's name, Luke. Well, that goes a long way. It's because he shows over and over and over again, Luke does, these are the kinds of people Jesus loves and Jesus saves. And if you think that you're beyond the grace and the mercy and the love of God, take a close look at the kinds of people Jesus and the Father rejoice over. These are the type of people who say. So tonight we're going to consider three different attitudes relating to grace and mercy. And kind of the way I'm framing it is what happens when God rejoices? When he finds his lost sheep, his lost coin, his lost son, and he wants to party. What happens when God rejoices? Our first emphasis, the first point this evening, when God rejoices, the humble are welcomed and free. Now, you'll, I think I put a parenthetical statement there, the part of the prodigal son, meaning if you remember the prodigal son, right, this would be where that fits in to the story, the, the, the character, if you will, of the prodigal son here. And that, of course, is Zacchaeus. What was that again? The humble? Uh, when God rejoices, the humbled and are welcomed and set free. I probably should look at the notes I gave you so I know what to... Uh, <laughs> But thanks, brother. I can give these out. I just you know, it's been a little while. Oh my! Look at that. Okay. I'll talk a little slower. <laughs> I used to have a PowerPoint. Okay, kids, get this. Okay. So, three aspects under that. When we look at Zacchaeus, one. This would be your A there. I should say one A. The humbled are well aware of their need. Now you may say, well, I've got a lot of friends. They don't know that they need Jesus. Well, they haven't been humbled. But the humble are well aware of their need. Now, who is this Zacchaeus? We're told a lot of things about him. Luke's great about giving us details about Zacchaeus. One, and this is important, he tells us he's a chief tax collector. Chief ta tax collector. Not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. That doesn't just mean he did a really good job. Uh, in the first century, that was a contracted job. The Roman Empire would hire people. Actually, you had to pay for the right to collect taxes for Rome. And it was common practice to charge more of the taxes, collect more taxes than what was required for Rome. 
So you're just taking more money than you're supposed to. Jews hated tax collectors. One, because they stole their money. There's nothing they could do about it. And two, because they were working for Rome. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. And it's I always find it humorous, maybe because I have a dark sense of humor, but I always kind of find it humorous that tax collectors had a special category. They were a special category of sinner. Let me just give you uh, one example, going all the way back to Luke 15, where we had our, our different ones, right? Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Did you catch that? Why didn't Luke just say, now sinners were coming near to hear him? No, no, no. There are sinners, but there's tax collectors. And, yeah, sinners. He even mentions tax collectors first. In uh, Matthew 11, 19, again, won't turn there, just read it for you. So the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There it is again. They have their own special category. Because they were considered that low. Their money was seen as unclean. Because they're traitors to the Jewish people. So much so that the money that they would have given as part of worship would not have been accepted as a tithe. No, can't take that. That's dirty money. If you were a Jew and you're paying your taxes or maybe doing some kind of business with a tax collector, you could not accept change back from them. Again, why? Because their money is unclean. He was, we're told, right, he was rich. Right, he was a tax collector, and he was rich. Why? Because of his dishonest dealings. The word that's given there as rich means abundantly wealthy. So this, this guy had it going on as far as, you know, living but then we're also told something else that we all know about because of the song, among other things. It says he was short. It wasn't just because there were a lot of people there, right? He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowds, because he was, this is just a nice political way of saying it, small in stature. He was vertically challenged. <laughs> the word that, the Greek word that's used is mikros. We get our word micro. Now, when Luke and his brother were young, Gert, one of the toys that we got them a ton of, oh, I got tired of some of those things all over the floor. Micro machines. Micro machines started off as like matchbox cars, but really small. And then they made micro machines Star Wars, and they were like little people, but everything was really tiny. That's the word that's used here. My lovely bride. You're going to have to get up here. I know we got two. I am. We got two big steps. You can do this. Right here. Okay. This is my lovely bride, Cho. Yeah, she's happy to be here. So, based on first century statistics, numbers, 
Zacchaeus would have been looking eye to eye with my bride. He would have been, she's four foot ten. That's about how tall Zacchaeus would have been, to put it in perspective for you. For a lovely woman, that's cute. For an adult male tax collector, not so cute. <laughs> right? I mean, who, who needs, people hate me already. Now that I've, I'm giving them something else to make, make fun of. There you go. Thank you. So he was small in stature to add to it, somewhere under five feet tall or so. As one commentator put it, and I quote, Zacchaeus was a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. That kind of sums it up right there. But there was an obvious change of heart. He climbs a tree. He climbs a tree. Now that tree that was over at the thing, he never would have made it up that one. I mean, he wouldn't have. I looked at it, but I knew that wasn't a good idea. It was a sycamore tree. Now, why does Luke tell us this? Because it's important. It's important to the story. The branches, it's like a fig tree that is actually a fruitless fig tree. I don't even know how that works out. But uh, the branches were really low. That's why he picked that one. He could get up the tree without any help. Now, you can imagine, there's all these crowds of people. There probably were some boys up that tree. When I was a boy, I loved climbing trees. Loved it. So here's Zacchaeus, a grown man, climbing this tree, trying to get high enough to look over the crowds. And it, it served, I'm sure, for some of the people as a metaphor, because the sycamore tree was only used for lumber because as far as its fruit, it's useless. It's useless. And you can almost imagine the jeering and the teasing. Look at that old Zacchaeus up there. Useless man in a useless tree. Why don't you come on down, Zacchaeus? Why are you going up the tree, Zacchaeus? But he doesn't care. Because he's heard this Jesus guy is coming through town. And that's all I care about. i got to get up that tree. So the humble are well, well aware of their need. Secondly, the humbled cannot be kept from Jesus. The humbled, that's B. The humbled cannot be kept from Jesus. Is there anything we see in this that... Zacchaeus was like, ah, I don't know if I should. And someone's like, oh, I'll do it, Zacchaeus. No, not at all. There's no manipulation needed whatsoever. He knew he needed somehow to at least see this Jesus. And nothing was going to keep him from it. Because there had been a change, as we will see in just a moment. All pride is laid aside. He doesn't care about the jeering. He doesn't care that everyone in town hates him. He doesn't care about that. That's not what matters. See, because 
part of being set free is that you are set free from your own pride. Because so often that keeps us from knowing true freedom in Christ. Is our own pride. There is a singular focus for him. Now here's the question. Luke doesn't tell us, but I'm going to read a little bit in between the lines here based on other accounts, right, and things we've already read. But why is Zacchaeus convinced he will find grace and mercy with Jesus? And right now, you should be asking the question, why should I be so convinced that I would find grace and mercy with this Jesus? Well, one, we've already read it, right, in Luke 15, 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. We read the same thing in Matthew 11, right, that there were other tax collectors. Maybe, and you have to imagine, I mean, who's the tax collector going to hang out with? Everyone hates him. He probably only can hang out with other tax collectors. And maybe some of them have said, yeah, you know, when I was over in the town next to this, there's this Jesus, this this teacher, this rabbi. And he, he had meals with us. He spoke gently to us. He spoke of hope to us. We know, too, that he healed lepers who were the outcasts of society, and not just by simply from 50 yards away, be healed, be healed, but I will touch you, which you never would do with a leper. Certainly not a holy man, but he would touch them. Imagine being a leper, having a disease that kept you from any human contact, to have a spiritual man, a righteous man come and just touch you. What that must have been to them. And in Matthew eleven nineteen, notice, right, that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We read that earlier. He's a friend, one who welcomes them. I have to imagine Zacchaeus had heard at least the reputation of Jesus. We have no indication that he had ever met him prior to this, right? This is his first time. He just wants to lay eyes on him at least. Who is this Jesus? I understand humbling oneself is a scary thing. It really is. It is putting aside your pride. It is placing yourself in a very vulnerable situation. But before Christ, we know we will find grace and mercy. The prophet Isaiah simply uses this illustration. as a bruised reed he will not break. What a great picture. I don't know if you think of it, you know, we don't, reeds are around us, we probably don't notice them that much, but if you can imagine like a cattail, you guys know what cattails are? Or just some kind of reed, there's times when, not, not often enough, but when I buy my wife flowers, and maybe some of those flowers are not as sturdy, they're almost like a hollow type of a stem, and the weight of the flower just, you know, put that thing back up there, you know, but it's just like, oh, just looks so sad now. And the picture that Isaiah gives us, a bruised reed, one, one that's broken. He's not just going to break off. He's going to be gentle. So those who come humbly, God, I'm a sinner. He's not going to break you off. He's going to meet you with grace. He's going to meet you with mercy. 
He really will. And he will set you free, really. And thirdly, and we're going to go a little faster with the other two points. The humble freely bring forth fruit of repentance. Fruit of repentance. And we're going to jump down through the story, verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, I love that he's talking to Jesus. I know the crowds are murmuring about me, but I want to talk to Jesus. Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Stopped and said, the, the phrasing that Luke uses, uh, which we have to imagine that Zacchaeus is using, right? It's quoted here. It, it, he's stopping to make a vow. He's not just saying, hey, you know, I'll, I'll get around to this, Jesus. He's saying, in the, in the, you know, before you, Jesus, and all these witnesses, I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is what I'm doing. Does Jesus tell him to do that? No. Now, there are Old Testament requirements, but you know what Zacchaeus does? He goes beyond those. He doesn't just go up to what was required under the Old Testament law. He says, I'm going to go past that. You know why? Because there was a heart change. He didn't have to be compelled to that. He repents freely because he knows that that repentance is going to be met with grace and mercy from Christ. And quite frankly, at this point, I don't think he really cares about the crowd because he's so overjoyed by the grace and mercy that he has found in Christ. He is free to repent. No concern of the cost, which was going to be great for him, no concern for the others, but he felt free to repent. Secondly, when God rejoices, the self-righteous, the self-righteous are exposed. The self-righteous are exposed. This is the part of the elder son in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. So we're right. We're told he was a chief tax collector. He was rich. Um, in oh, let's see if I want to. And uh, you don't need to turn there, but one chapter before, uh, he says, uh, he, Jesus told this parable to some of uh, people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 15, when he tells those three parables, uh, right, he's telling this um, to the Pharisees. It says uh, in verse 2, the Pharisees, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them these parables. That, that's the setup. Why does he tell them these three parables? Because he's talking to people who are grumbling about the fact that God rejoices when sinners repent. And as Zacchaeus comes and fully repents, the others are exposed, their hearts are exposed. First, we would say, A, for the proud, grace and mercy shown to others results in bitterness and anger. I'll say that again. For the proud, grace and mercy shown to others results in bitterness and anger. 
Now, what did Jesus do here? He had a meal with one of the townsfolks. Just happened to be Zacchaeus. Now, maybe that doesn't seem like that big a deal to us, but in the first century, it was a huge deal. When you had a meal with someone, meals were considered intimate events. You you were saying something to that person by inviting them or accepting the invitation. So it was very special. It was very personal. It was an intimate thing. Uh, I don't know how birthday parties roll these days, but when I was a kid and my mom said I could have a party and I got some friends over, I didn't invite everybody in my class. First of all, my mother wouldn't have allowed that. But usually it was like, she might have even given me a number, you can have four of your friends. So guess what? It was going to be the ones I considered to be my closest friends. It's kind of like that here. See, the implication was this. Jesus should have nothing to do with sinners, but they're upset that he is. You should have nothing to do with them. But not only were you talking to him in public, you're entertaining with a meal with him. And secondly, the one that I think is a little more profound, the proud are blind to their own need for grace and mercy. The proud are blind to their own need for grace and mercy. chapter previous uh, there is this parable that Jesus had told to some of them and you're probably familiar with this. It says two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying uh, this to himself but loud enough that everybody could hear. God I thank you that I'm not like other people. Okay you know this isn't going to go well. (laughs) Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Sounds like a pretty good guy. Doing all the right things. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes. He's not standing. He's down. He's even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, now you heard the nice list the other guy had. This is all this guy could muster, the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's what he could say. I tell you, this man went, like the the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, reading between the lines, I think we could say this is a fair statement. They weren't so upset that Jesus was having a meal at someone's house in town. They were upset that it was with Zacchaeus, and it would have been perfectly fine, acceptable, and normal had he had a meal with them. 
to hear what they're saying. Can't believe you're going with him and not one of us. Why? Because they don't understand their own depravity. They don't understand their sin. Oh, they understand Zacchaeus is just fine. But they don't see their own. But their own self-righteousness is exposed. And finally, when God rejoices, his heart and purposes are affirmed. His heart and purposes are affirmed. This is the part of the loving father in the parable of the prodigal son. First of all, we see that Jesus initiates salvation. He initiates salvation. Remember, as he's walking by, Zacchaeus is just up in the tree. Right? He's not yelling down at Jesus or anything. As far as we know, he's just you know hanging on. And Jesus comes and he stops. And he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus and says, Come on down. You gotta get home. You gotta get dinner ready, because I'm coming over to your house. Not only that, but Jesus says, I must. I must. That's a that's a special term there. Speaks of an irreversible decree. This has to happen. This has to happen. It must happen. It was a divine appointment. Now, maybe I'm putting a little too much into this, but you, again, Pastor Tony filled this in for us uh, on Sunday. Right? Luke was a great historian. He took great details. He wasn't around for most of this stuff. He's talking to people. And when it says, again, maybe putting a little, read a little too much in this, uh, but it says, when Jesus came to the place. I love that our English actually picks up on this. Usually it doesn't. We, we lose out things uh, in the translation. But it has the definite article. Sorry, we're, we're in school now. Definite article. It's not, he came to a place. He came to the place. I kind of like to think that as Luke's talking to people, he talked to Zacchaeus. And he's like, uh, Zacchaeus, you, you, some people say that you had some time with Jesus. Oh, yeah, let me tell you about it. Come here, right here. That's the tree I was up at. Jesus came, he stood right there. And he looked up at me. And he told me to come down, that he was coming over to my house. Can you believe that? I, I, I truly believe that Zacchaeus was just, he couldn't get over that for the rest of his life. That Jesus calls him. And he calls you. And me. Secondly, Jesus affirms salvation. Notice on what basis. Today's salvation has come to this house because he was going to get back all the money. No, that's not what it says. Because he too is a son of Abraham. Does that just mean he's a Jew? No. What's Abraham known for? Faith. Right? His, it is counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because he has faith in God and God's promises. And he's saying, Zacchaeus is the son of Abraham too, because he comes by faith. And finally, Jesus reasserts his mission. The very end, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Literally, it reads, to seek and to save the lost thing. And it 
brings us back to Luke 15 with a lost sheep, lost coin. See, both are needed, the seeking and the saving. Both are needed, just like the sheep. He has to leave the 99 to find the one. We're told in Isaiah 53, all of us, that, that, that's all of us. This is one of those times in the Bible where all means all, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And what kind of sheep? These are not sheep that were just, you know, not feeling too well and they hobble back to the shepherd. These are sheep who are incapable and the shepherd has to seek them out and bring them back and to save them. And that's what Jesus says that he is that his mission to do that very thing, to seek and to save. If you don't know that you're lost, you'll never come to Christ. You, you have to be like Zacchaeus, brought to your lowest, broken, seeking grace and mercy and turning to the one you know will extend grace and mercy to you, Christ, Christ alone. And that you are free to repent because he calls you to do so and you know that he will not reject you. Uh, Spurgeon, actually referring, uh, quoting Martin Luther, so two generations removed, I guess, um, said this, Martin Luther, this is Spurgeon writing, Martin Luther speaks in his book on Galatians of cutting the devil's head off with his own sword, which is a great illustration, but the idea was using the words of Satan to defeat Satan. That's the idea. There, says Martin to the devil, you say I'm a great sinner, I thank you for that. For Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and so I feel he came to save me. And if the devil says to you, and I know the devil says this to some of you, you are lost altogether. That's just a nice old way of saying is you're beyond being saved. You're past that. Incapable. And if the devil says to you, you are lost altogether, off with his head, my brother, with his own sword, rejoice that, quote, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I believe we can summarize Zacchaeus, uh, his encounter with Christ, in our really our word for the week, freedom. Freedom. He was free from what others thought at this point. That, that's where he had come in, into his life. He was free from his own guilt and shame. He was free to repent. And he was free to love Christ. I don't know if any of you... Uh, should I do a... Should we do a we're, we're closing up here, folks. Hang with me. Give me two more minutes. I appreciate your time. I really do. Have any of you read uh, The Scarlet Letter? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Let me show it yeah. Some of you might be required to do so someday. I don't want to spoil it for you, but I'm going to spoil it for you. The Scarlet Letter was... The letter itself was the letter A. And it was red. And it stood for adultery. 
And the uh, Hester Prynne, this woman, is in this Puritan village, is forced to wear this, basically as punishment, so that everyone would know that she had a child. Everyone knew she had a child, but she wasn't married. That's a sin that's kind of hard to hide. Your, your sin's following you around, calling you mama all the time. And they said, sinner, they go away. Got to wear it everywhere. I don't want to spoil the whole story for you, but her sin was exposed. And you know what? There was nothing to hide. So she lived fully and freely because she's had nothing to hide. It's those who try to hide it. Now, I'm not saying let's go around and put letters of our sins all over us. But the principle is there. That when we're hiding it from God and hiding it as if, you know, with, with one another, as if we never sinned, that Jesus should come to my house, but not that person's house. Thank God you haven't made me like this person. Now, clearly, someone fathered that child in the story. I won't ruin it for you. It's in the story. But you know what? The one person, this might spoil it for me, <laughs> who is weighed down, who is sickly, who is just being literally eaten up by their sin is the one person who is hiding it. And it crushes him because he refuses to deal with it and dealing with it through repentance so that he might be free from it like Hester was because she didn't need to hide it. She was free. My dear friends, come to Christ so that the Son can set you free indeed because you will not find freedom in any other way. Now, we're going to talk about some of those things this week, how we try to deal with it on our own and what a mess we make of things. That's why I wanted to start with this, this one because it really is our starting place. And I want you, as you leave tonight, whether or not you talk about these things, maybe you do in your groups, I want you to ask yourself, what enslaved you? Is it fear of man? Man, I've struggled with that. A works righteousness, what, what we mean by that is simply, I'm going to earn my way to God. Religious expectations. Well, I gotta gotta hit this mark. Gotta hit this mark. Maybe it's shame or guilt of the past that you just will not bring to Christ and say it's yours. It's yours. I'm done with it. I wish there was a way to start again. Just blink and count to ten, and the land of beginning again. When no, no one knows the bad things you've done, the past is truly gone in the land of beginning again.
no more anachronosis. There is a way to start again. And it's through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Our blessed Father, we, we are astounded that you would rejoice and celebrate with the angels in heaven when one sinner comes to you by faith, humbly repenting of our sins, trusting wholly in your Son, Jesus Christ, as our substitute, that he died for me in my place, carrying my sin, giving me his righteousness, that you might make me a child of God, that you might set me free. May tonight be the beginning of our time of knowing what it means to be free, really. And through it, as we celebrate your grace and your mercy shown towards us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would be glorified in our embracing the freedom that has been given to us in Christ. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you.